Good morning, good morning. The word of the Lord coming from the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, starting at verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength, strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction, instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all of her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Can you join me in thanking our brother Jacob for reading our word today? Well, welcome again to Sanctuary Covenant Church. We're so glad to be here together to worship together on this Mother's Day. Well, my name is Pastor Rose. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary. I'm Leah Fulton. And you know, Leah, as Jacob was reading this text again, you know, I just feel so many emotions. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, tension, emotions of tension. Mm -hmm. Because to be really honest, when this verse, when this passage is read, I feel anxious. I get anxiety. I even get angry mm -hmm. because of the ways that this text has been used to diminish women. I resonate with that. Amen? Mm -hmm. But because of the ways that we've you know had the opportunity to connect together this week mm -hmm. this as this passage was read i also feel pride yes. i feel empowerment yes. when i fully understand what this passage actually means yes and you know it has been an enriching week mm -hmm. we've prayed together mm -hmm. we've studied yes. together mm -hmm. we've talked mm -hmm. and we've learned a lot of surprising things mm -hmm. like for example we often believe that in the traditional rendering of the text, we believe that this, the intended audience is, is women. But in actuality, the intended audience of this passage is men. It was men who were instructed to read it, to memorize it, to sing praises of it over women in their lives. And that was just one of the surprising things that we learned. And that's why we asked Jacob to read today. So... I hope that we can honor this text for what it really is. Agreed. Amen? Absolutely agreed. Amen. So this Proverbs 31 is a likely Mother's Day choice, right? 
Who's been in a community where Proverbs 31 is used on Mother's Day? Yeah. But it's often been used as an unfair, unrealistic standard by which we have held women, not just mothers, but women. And so today, we want to reorient ourselves to the intended meaning of Proverbs 31, that it is a, while it's been used as a false indictment against us, it is actually intended to be a celebration of our character, of the, the work that God is already doing and continues to do in us about who we are and not what we do. Amen. We gotta say amen to that. Amen. So today is about mothers, yes, but it's also about all women. This passage talks about all women. So I want to just give a little bit of context for our passage today. Mm -hmm. And then Leah is going to moderate an amazing conversation for us with these incredible women that we have, women of wisdom and power. Mm -hmm. So we've titled our time together as An Ode to Women, Liberating the Proverbs 31 Woman. Because we need to liberate her, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. We need to liberate ourselves because we've been subjected to this narrow view of what it means to be a woman. Mm -hmm. Now to say it directly, Proverbs 31, that woman has been really hijacked by the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. It really has. Mm -hmm. She's been hijacked to perpetuate these lies that we have to be a certain thing or do certain things to be good. But instead, we're not looking and considering what we do, the tasks, I mean, we all have that long list at home, right? Or in our minds, like constantly. But instead, this passage is about who we are, not what we do. So the context of Proverbs 31 is rich if we take the time to look deeply at it and look away from some of the traditional ways that it's been interpreted. Mm -hmm. Now, this whole book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. And it's continually asking, what is foolishness? And what is wisdom? That's what it's asking throughout this whole book. And here at Proverbs 31 is really the culmination of that question. This book of wisdom, Proverbs 31, is this acrostic poem of these verses that are describing this woman, this noble wife. But a better rendering of that, of that translation would it be more accurate to say a courageous woman or a woman of valor, not just a wife, not just a mother. So it's the very culmination of this book of wisdom. The author is essentially showing us what wisdom personified looks like. It's not asking about what the task she does to be good. Instead, it is asking, what is wisdom in the everyday? And what does that look like? This passage is not meant to be prescriptive of all. It's not meant to be this measure of perfection that it's been become. Instead, it's a word of honor. It's a word of honor, not about, again, her roles and her tasks, but about her influence, her influence in the world. This text is about honor, but it's also about liberation. It's this poem that's actually a polemic to the patriarchy status quo. It is a bold word against the subordination of women that was contextual and happening at that time. And it is a demand that women be recognized as who they are, as, as people who are formed and made in God's image. So church, that's what we're going to celebrate today. 
That's what we're going to celebrate through Leah as she moderates and leads us, as well as our panelists. So would you um, join me in welcoming them this morning? Thank you, Pastor Rose. So, good morning. I'm glad to see y'all. I have this honor of being able to participate in and moderate um, a conversation with these amazing women of character who are part of our faith community. <coughs> and I just ran out of water, so hopefully I don't cough all the way through this. Thank you. I think one of the things that I just want to put out there up front is that we do not presume to have arrived. We are on this journey of reorienting ourselves to the Proverbs 31 woman to embrace this idea of feeling affirmed in our character and not feeling like we've got to meet these benchmarks of, of performance. So I just want to put that out there that this convert and this is that a conversation. Um, about how how we are pursuing that. And I'm gonna pull up some notes so that I stay on track. <coughs> so we're each gonna introduce ourselves. Thank you, Joseph. Um, and tell you a little bit about who we are. <coughs> so I told you that my name is Leah. I am daughter to Elnora and granddaughter to Jesse and to Mary. I'm a great-granddaughter to Odessa. I'm a sister to Jessica. I am wife to Chris, mother to Christopher, Noah, and Silas. I am a student. I'm a professional. I'm a foodie. I'm a, I love to eat y'all. And I'm a follower of Jesus. And I choose the word justice to describe my character because this is how I attempt to show up in the world. Justice is an expression of my faith in God, my love for God, my love for people. It's an expression of the hope that I have that my children will find spaces and places in this world that will embrace them in light of the fact that I realize anti-blackness is a global phenomenon. I want to be an active participant in justice, in pursuing justice, because I believe it's God's idea. I think it honors him. I think it helps me carve out these spaces where my children and other people and children, especially, might find spaces where they are well-loved. And I choose the word justice because in some of the spaces that I traverse, I find that it is actually justice that represents my best Christian witness. That it's not just what I say, but it's how I engage with other people. And too often I think folks have not seen the church show up in a way that says that justice matters, that love for neighbor actually gets materialized. Would y'all introduce, would y'all introduce yourselves? Oh, I thought you were gonna start in the back this time. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, I, first of all, as being old school, some of you heard this from the first service, I have to give honor to God. Thank the Lord for being here, who continues to be the head of my life. And I thank the Lord for being saved one more day. Amen. And having a desire to go on and continue 
with the Lord after coming to know him at the age of six. So, um, but I thank God that he still continues to be faithful and gives me the stability that I have, such as it is. Um, I, my name is Joyce Lee Gale. I like to be known as a woman of resurfacing dreams. I am the mother of two adult sons, ages 31 to 32. One of my sons has been here to play the flute on many occasions. Um, he is a youth pastor in Switzerland. The other son is a physician out in Baltimore area. Um, due to our nomadic lifestyle and foreign service, we have been privileged to move 14 places. And as a result of that, I've had to learn adaptability and also spiritual guardianship. And so while um, I've had to put some things on hold many, many, many times as we move, I'm at a new stage of life where I'm giving myself permission to have some of my dreams resurface. And I thank the Lord for that. And my, my spiritual goal is to help other young women learn how to stand their ground spiritually so that they do not accept things that would derail their destinies in the Lord and that they don't compromise who God created them to be. Because long before we were mothers and wives, we were daughters of God mm -hmm. with an inborn destiny. Mm -hmm. And so that's my goal. I want to be known as a woman who finishes her assignment well with joy. Thank you. My name is Khan Nguyen, and David and I have been married about almost 12 years. David works at uh, Target, and he's a great father and always supports me in all my endeavors. Um, my family came as refugees from Vietnam when I was three. David's uh, family immigrated when he was 19. My daughter, Milin, is in fourth grade. She's 10 years old. She plays the piano. She's very creative, and she loves slime. My son, Kwa, is eight. He's in second grade. He's addicted to soccer. They, they both love to read, and 90% of the time, they get along. Um, I work part-time at University of Northwestern teaching ministry courses in race, cultural competency, and exegesis, and I work overtime as a mom, as I'm sure all moms do. Um, I want to be known as a woman of faithfulness, uh, faithfulness to in following my Lord Jesus, faithfulness to um, my husband, um, faithfulness in showing my kids the love of Jesus so that as they grow into their um, calling that they would love Jesus mm -hmm. and faithfully follow him and, mm -hmm. and make an impact for the kingdom. So my word is faithfulness, but I also realize that when I am faithless, the Lord is still faithful. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm Joy Feldner, woman of love. Can you blame me? Because of four other women, I am mom to Ruby, 13, Sadie, 11, they're alive in person, Joseph and Joshua. I'm also wife to Dave, and um, just in the past couple of months, I've wrapped up uh, one of the chapters of my life of serving with a ministry called Crew for the last 22 years. And I'm uh, waiting for the Lord um, to reveal my next and also embracing this next. I'm a woman of love because God first loved me. And he takes great delight in me. And as I embrace that love, I'm freed up and empowered to love 
those that God has put into my life. Good morning. My name is Tyler Dixon Ross. I am a wife to Jesse Ross. We've been married for about two and a half, three years. I think you might want to check with him on that because I'm not the one in the relationship that takes care of those details. <laughs> um, I am mom to five kids. Yes, five. Um, six. Jesse is six, and then Raylan is eight. Corday is 12, Zarian is 13, and Aliana is 16. Um, I am a woman of courage. And I am a woman of courage because everything in my life has told me that I wasn't and that I couldn't be and that fear was going to rule over me. And so I just choose not to go with that plan of the enemy and to live fully into who God's mm -hmm. called me to be, mm -hmm. and that is a woman of courage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I told y'all this amazing group of women who we get to talk with today. So we're gonna pivot from big picture macro level and think about some of the micro level realities of, of this text. Uh, I think one of the reasons why it can be tempting to treat the Proverbs 31 woman as um, a prescriptive checklist is because there's so much detail in the text about what she does. Like, she has side hustles, she go to bed late, she wake up early, she sews, like she's professional, she's domestic, she is all the things. Um, and so because of that, it can be tempting to feel like, well, how do I get like her? And so I think um, we have to be reminded that this is not about what she does. It is about her character and the ways that she, not what she does, but how she lives into it. And part of how she does that is with wisdom. As Pastor Rose talked about, this, is, this text is about wisdom personified. And so I would love to hear from a couple of, of our panelists here. Tell us about how you live uh, into wisdom on a day-to-day -day basis in your own lives. Okay, I'll start. Um, I cling to wisdom as my energy protector. I am newly um, in recovery from chronic people-pleasing. And so as I walk in this new chapter, I need the Holy Spirit. I need intimacy with the Holy Spirit to give me the wisdom to discern when it's appropriate for me to drop everything and um, come alongside those that God has put in my life, and when I need to stay in my lane. Um, I would call this chapter of my life the ministry of interruptibility. And if I'm not clinging to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and I'm motivated out of people-pleasing and hoping that people like me and like needing me, um, I'm robbing myself of God's best and I'm robbing that person of God's best. So I need to be walking intimately with, with the Holy Spirit to get wisdom on when to say yes and no. Great, thank you. Alrighty, um, and before I forget, I am married to Jacob Gale. I don't want to get run over by his wheelchair at the end. But, but I did mention that in the 9 o'clock service, so I didn't forget. She did. It's, she did. It's just because you showed up at the service. 
the, the, after nearly 40 years, I'm entitled to forget. Um, <laughs> but um, the way that God has been leading me in this season of life is boundary setting. Um, agreeing with joy in terms of recovering people pleasing and for women that can be our immediate families it can mean siblings it can mean whomever that we are lauded and praised when we drop everything oh I don't have time for myself to do this I don't have and it seems so you know noteworthy but Jesus said we're to love our neighbors as ourselves and he does not require that women that we let ourselves just go into an abyss and let our total existence be about what we do for everyone else. And, and that's what the Lord has been impressing upon me, even though it comes with some emotional repercussions. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, you don't love your family. You're, you're not spending every waking moment with them. No, you need to remain sane if your family's going to be safe. <laughs> you know, that's just, <laughs> that's just the bottom line of it. So I'm learning boundary setting this season. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Joyce and Joy. I, um, I think part of why that's so important is from a young age, I think women get socialized into thinking about how we take care of other people. So we get taught about cooking and cleaning. We get taught how important it is to know how to tend to husbands who we don't even have at the time, and children who we don't have at, at the time, from the time that we're children. And so people will teach us how important it is for us to tend to everyone around us, but we don't get taught how to take care of ourselves, or even that that is part of our spiritual formation process. And so it's a, it's a shift, it's a shift. Um, and I wanna make sure that we even mention, you know, the fact that sometimes whether it's season of life as an empty nester or married with no children or, or single with no children, that there can be this expectation that if your life is not filled with taking care of husband and children, that means that you have time to take care of other people. And so the importance of setting boundaries, even if this is not the season of life you're in, but also for those who are in that season to respect boundaries to not presume that people have time to take on other things because they don't have people in their household to tend to. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the things that is um, that I think is often missing from our um, analysis of the Proverbs 31 woman is recognizing the cultural context that, that, that she's living into all of these things. And so I think for example, there's mention of servant girl or servant girls, and we don't know if that's a problematic, oppressive relationship, or if it's a mutually agreeable one. But whatever the case, she can probably stay up late and wake up early, because there's somebody else in the house who's probably helping tend to things. I'm using my sanctified imagination here. <laughs> but the, the idea is that there's somebody else in the house who was there to, who is there to serve. And so I think that has to figure into the ways that we understand the cultural context that she is living into all of these things. Uh, for some of us who are from collective cultural communities, we see um, this, this idea of the village. Um, from my tradition, we see 
something called other mothering, where other, other women become mother figures to children, or you see fictive kinship. Fictive kinship is people like, that's my auntie, that's my cousin. Y'all ain't related, but they still family. Um, and so that's, that is um, something called Africanism, that when you look at pre-colonial Africa, that is something that we have retained within our cultural community um, over time, space, and oppression. Um, and held on to, and it has often been a source of agency to be able to do this well. So I would like to hear from some of our panelists about how your cultural identity informs the way that you mother. Okay, I'll take that one. So when I gave birth to my two children, my mom came and lived with us for nine months to help you know, clean and cook and do some overnight feedings, and that's not unusual in an Asian family. Um, so when I hear some of my, my friends who said, oh, my mom came and helped for one week, I was like, how did you survive that? Um, and I suppose some of you, like if hearing your mom or mother-in-law come to live with you for nine months, you might think I'm crazy, but, <laughs> but it's a very communal thing to bring up, a way to bring up your, your kids. So I grew up um, immersed in the Vietnamese community, but also in the dominant white culture. But as I grow in my understanding of the multi-ethnic nature of the kingdom, I really want my kids to experience the beauty and diversity of different cultures. So they attend a Chinese immersion school, and some Sundays, uh, like today, they're attending a Vietnamese language school, which they absolutely hate. But, you know, I'm still in control of their lives for a few more years. <laughs> um, we participate in an African refugee congregation, and I intentionally give them diverse books and music. Um, so my kids will either grow up very multi-ethnic or very mixed up. <laughs> You know, but the last thing, um, I also want to teach them about our family's story, how we escaped Vietnam as refugees. And when we came here, mm -hmm. we found something way better than the American dream. Mm -hmm. We found Jesus. And I want them... I want them to know how far the Lord has brought us, but also never forget where we came from. Amen. 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 Well... I, I love what Khan said about multiculturalism as we moved around the world mm -hmm. and there aren't a lot of African-American families in foreign services, uh, state department service. And as we moved around with our children, um, they had the privilege of going to schools in Africa and Caribbean, Europe, um, later on going to places like Scotland, China, Rwanda, Uganda. And what we endeavored to teach them truly was that you take Christ with you everywhere. Christ is not American. Amen. God is not American. Amen. God Amen. has Amen. people everywhere. Amen. And, and that has been a privilege because every country in which we've lived, we aligned ourselves with the church. We taught Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Our sons played in the worship band and that kind of thing. And so it enabled us to see that there's more than one form of missionary, that God has those of us who might be professional missionaries, but we were there to minister to and to learn from. And so it enabled them to see themselves, yes, as African-American young men, but as citizens of the world, as my husband likes to say. And so knowing that God will keep us wherever we are, we don't have to stay in a particular place. That if God moves us, he's going with us. And so we don't have to fear. 
Um, I had a little bit of a difficult time answering this question because for me, the first thing that came to mind thinking about my culture was my relationship just within my house with my mom and how we were raised. And I didn't want to really answer it because I love my mom and she's amazing. She's always shown up for me. But in mothering and leadership, she also taught me that that is judgmental, passive aggressive and critical. And that was something that I carried into um, my relationship with my children, sometimes into my marriage, sometimes into the way that I lead. And I think it's important for me to also voice that part of what happened in my story. And those things show up all the time. I'm extremely grateful now that I know Jesus and I have a relationship because he has been able to turn those things and make them into something beautiful. Instead of parenting out of those places um, and just being broken and all that pain, he showed me that as a mom, as a leader, that I'm to walk humbly, that I am to have difficult conversations and I am going to be uncomfortable and that is okay. It is okay to voice my opinions, voice my thoughts, and not worry about what people are gonna think about them, what they're gonna think about me, and it has been a long journey to get there. Um, and I think that's something a lot of women struggle with and don't want to admit to. Nobody wants to admit they're critical or judgmental or passive aggressive, but this is Minnesota, and I don't know if you live here, but it's a real thing, and so that has been a real struggle of mine. Um, and I'm just thankful that I have women around me who exhibit something, who show me something different. There's so many people that I could call out that I see right now that I have learned how to be a better mom, how to be a better leader, and what that looks like. Thank you. So we're going to continue in this um, in this theme of, of culture. And so part of what we understand about um, the historical and contemporary response of this text from Jewish communities is that um, it, in regard to relationships between women, that this text is used, again, not as a prescription, but as a celebration. So. Um, if a woman gets a promotion or is pregnant or overcomes hardship, um, it's a song of celebration among friends. So a decade ago, it may have been, maybe two decades ago, it would have been, you go girl. But today it would be like, yes. Like, it's this celebration that happens. And it subverts this attitude that, or this, it subverts this um, setup that, that we see oftentimes for women to be pitted against one another um, in competition. Um, it creates space for us to build one another up and it underscores our need, it underscores our need for a community, it underscores our need for one another, especially as women. So I would uh, love to hear from each of you what you see as the barriers to creating a community of supportive women, how you've overcome those barriers, and what you see as the blessings that come from that. I can go first. <laughs> um, for me, some of the barriers that I have experienced myself and seen a lot are um, comparison, shame, and guilt. 
every conversation I have with other women usually involve one of those three things or all three of those things. We compare ourselves to other women in the way that we look, in the way that our kids behave, in the experiences that we've had. We walk around with the shame of our past. So for example, myself, um, I have kids with different dads and that was like some serious shame that I carried around with me a lot. And um, it affected my relationships, it affected how I parented, it affected literally everything. And I see so many other women struggle with that. And I'm, I'm glad to say that I'm in a place now where I feel like I've broken free from that. And I had to do that intentionally. So I sought out, instead of comparing myself to other women, I would watch how they did things. And then I would go and ask them questions about how they discipline their kids or just listen to them talk about how they discipline their kids at different gatherings or whatever. And then I would take those things and use them in my own life to just kind of disrupt the patterns that weren't working. Um, to disrupt the plans that the enemy had. And I think um, as women, a lot of times we have a hard time doing that. We don't want to reach out for help. We don't want to say that we're struggling because we're supposed to be strong and carry the weight of the world and we got this and we got to always look put together. And I'm okay if my kid is the one running around the church wiping their snotty nose on some random person. Because while I am like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Everybody else is like, oh my God, they're so cute. Ah. So I've just learned like, it's an intentional choice what we decide to do with that. It's an intentional choice that we have to make not to compare ourselves, to let go of that shame and live fully into who God has called us to be and who he says that we are regardless of our situations, our past. Tyler, I, Tyler, I appreciate what you're saying because I think it, it really describes the way that you're living into this idea of affirming one another. So instead of watching and admiring someone and that creating distance, that you actually push past that. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That was so good and so true. I think we can all relate to those, those it manifests itself differently in each of us. Um, so that plus, for me, another barrier is just my personality of being an introvert. And so it's really easy for me to hide behind busyness or my own shyness or even some of the trauma that our family has walked through as excuses to hold people at arm's length. Um, but really, that's not what Jesus did. And Pastor Edron has told us that Jesus went first and that Jesus was an is an initiator, and he died for us. He died for me before I even deserved it. And he always goes toward people, and he always makes the first move. And so every time that I have, like you so beautifully articulated, but every time that I am able to, by God's grace, get my eyes off of myself and engage with others, I'm freed up to enjoy others because Jesus has already settled the matter of my acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning like, it's okay if you don't get it because I he gets it with me. And then I am freed up to engage in life giving ways with others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
one of the barriers I think is um, just the American American lifestyle of busyness and just the individualism. Um, it's very isolating. And I remember I was in a Bible study at a, firm, a former church, and we were talking about parenting. And a Kenyan sister said that you know back in Kenya, when if the children are misbehaving in the neighborhood, the whole village is there to correct them. But here in the U.S., it's nobody's business, right? And so um, how I push past those barriers and how there's blessedness in community is about three years ago, a friend and I started a mom's prayer group at the, the school that my children attend. And so we meet regularly to pray for the school, for our kids, for each other. Um, we get together for, for fun times as well with all our kids, and we try to model faith and prayer to them. And each of us brings our own unique gifts to the group. We share our struggles and our triumphs. Um, and we also volunteer at the, at the school. So it's not just a prayer group, it's a serving group. Um, and it's just been this group of women that have lived out the daily life with me and my children that have been my lifeline um, as we navigate our kids' growth together. And I'm, I'm always somewhat the deviant one, but um, when I saw this question, a lot of things came to mind. Um, as the other panelists have alluded, is the way women are pitted against each other in society. Um, here in the U.S., what I found, you know, they'll use the phrase working woman. And I don't use that phrase because all women are working. That's right. Um, just because you're not getting paid for it, if you're a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. the ones who are working, if, if you have someone coming mm -hmm. to your home and they don't show up, she didn't show up for work today. So that throws a wrench in your plans. Um, and we tend to value or devalue people based upon mm -hmm. whether or not they're employed. Mm -hmm. I've been on both sides mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. um, I've been on the side where I was working, teaching in a university, that kind of thing, and literally took my children into the classroom with me. Um, and there were lovely sisters in the church who told me, you want too much education, and you should not be doing that. And then later on in their early toddler years as we started moving, and then I took a step back from professional life, and then literally having people call me a dumb housewife, mm -hmm. not knowing I probably have more education than they did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then going into social events with my husband and having people literally, once they found out, you know, oh, you're, you're not a mover and a shaker, literally turn their backs and decide there's no need to further interact mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, those people were women. They weren't men. And, and so I think women, we have to learn how to be each other's cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. We, we really do. Um, because the ones who are professionals, if you have children, someone's taking care of your children, enabling you to be a professional. Mm -hmm. So that person right. needs to be right. applauded and that's lauded. Right. Um, that's just the way it is. And also getting back to boundaries, I'm learning again, it's me time. <laughs> and, and, and so when I am finished at the end of the day, I will go to Zumba class, forget I'm a mom and rock out with all the other sisters of whatever age, and it's my time to just do me. So, you know, really, as women, we've got to be each other's cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. Don't speak disparagingly mm -hmm. of a woman who is at home full time because mm -hmm. that's, that's a gift. Otherwise, yes, you'll be 
somebody have to talk you down off a bridge if you're at home all day with children. And likewise, women that God is leading into a professional sphere, don't laud them as power grubbing, power hungry. Mm -hmm. We each have destinies and we're supposed to complement mm -hmm. mm -hmm. each other and support each other. Mm -hmm. so. Uh, I think, for me personally, what I what I find as the barrier of of creating a community of supportive women. One, there are a lot of supportive women around me, including some who are sitting in this room right now, who I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, what I find is the it's the psychological barriers. It is uh, fear of being needy, fear of being vulnerable fear that if I ask for what I need, that that need may not be met. And so, um, but in the times when I've been able to overcome that, it's been so rich. So I'm gonna share a quick story with y'all and we're gonna uh, make a transition here. When my second child was born, so my Noah Charles, when Noah was born, it was uh, 10 days prior, um, my husband Chris's dad had died. And so we drove to Chicago with my uh, hospital bag in the trunk, knowing that we may have to deliver in Chicago. And so we picked out caskets and suits. Chris gave his father's eulogy. We drove home. I had contractions the whole drive from Chicago back here. We got home. I went to work for one day and then delivered the next. Uh, Chris had just started a new job, so he couldn't really take a whole lot of time off. I was sick. I spent a week sick, misdiagnosed, um, with chills so bad that I couldn't hold Noah to actually feed him, so Chris had to feed him. Uh, his mother was out of the country. My mother was working and couldn't come here. We don't have any family here. And then when Noah was a week old, our oldest, Christopher, started having a vomiting spell. So he, probably within a 36-hour time frame, walked around our house vomiting seven or eight times. He was 15 months old at the time. I remember getting, being at my wits end. I didn't have the capacity. I didn't want to ask for help, but I didn't have another choice. And so I reached out to a friend and I told her, we need help. That's all I could say was we need help. And she showed up the next day, which happened to me my birthday, with a cake, a homemade meal, and folded our laundry, held the baby, prayed with us, and then rallied a whole other group of people to bring us meals. And so the barriers oftentimes I have found for me is that it's the fear and it's the need to keep up image maintenance. So even if I can say, yes, I'm very busy, but I got this, instead of being able to say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overcommitted, and I don't got this, and I do need help. And I realize it's a risk to do that. But the blessing is that in that is the ways we get to experience community, the way you get to actually live into what it means to be a body. To be part of a body means that the body tends to the needs of each part. And so I don't have an issue extending. I have a, hard, a, a difficult time receiving. And so, um, I think we see this in pop culture. So we see Aisha Curry this week being vulnerable about this own internal thing that she feels of wanting attention. And you see this flurry of critique. 
instead of give, creating space for women to be vulnerable. And so this reinforcement oftentimes of, no, you can't be vulnerable, and if you are, you will be cut down, um, I think can reinforce that. And so I think that's part of why we have to be able to recognize the barriers for what they are. If they're internal or external, we have to recognize we are taking a risk sometimes. But the beauty that can come on the other side of risk taking can be the ways that we get to experience love and community and watch the body be who, be who we are called and intended to be. And so um, as we think about what this, this question of character and not the what, but the how, um, we wanna create space for y'all to be part of this reorientation to the Proverbs 31 woman. So I'm gonna ask Pastor Rose to come and lead us in a communal exercise. Well, church, can you join me in saying thank you to these women? have heard wisdom today. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is just incredible to see how the Spirit works in community as we're pursuing, as we're looking at Scripture for what it really is instead of perpetuating these lies. And so I'm just so grateful to all of you, especially you, Leah, as you facilitated this conversation. Thank you. Thank you again. Our panelists began their conversation by stating their name and who they want to be known as, this character trait. And so, church, we have an opportunity for us as women to reflect on who we are. Who does God say we are? I am Rose. I am woman of legacy. Now, that means to me that I don't just think about how I want to be remembered, but I really want to, um, to continue the movement and the work of the kingdom beyond just myself, beyond just my family. And to me, legacy implies the, the communal work of changing these systems and structures of oppression and bringing about a legacy of the kingdom for God's glory. So we're going to have a time, church, for our women, all women, to reflect in your weekly, which is our bulletin, you'll see that there's an insert in there. So if you want to grab that, uh, maybe some of you will hold it up so we can see. We are going to reflect for just a moment. Leah's going to pray. There'll be a time for reflection. To reflect on who does God say that you are? Who are you as a woman as you sit in this um, time together? And then we'll have a time for you to proclaim that. And for us, especially our whole church, but especially as men, to bear witness to that and honor you as this text is intended to be. And so after this time of reflection, we'll um, have a time, a chance for every woman to individually say um, who they are, and men, you'll respond. So you'll see on the screen. So for example, it will sound a little like this. I am Rose, woman of legacy. And men, as well as everyone, you'll say... A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So we'll have a moment for every woman to speak that if you want, and we'll respond collectively with that. So Leah, would you pray for us? Lord God. 
Thank you. Thank you for the freedom that you offer to us. To not be in a rat race constantly trying to perform and to become perfect. Thank you that that is what Jesus' sacrifice does for us. Thank you that through this text that you offer to us really this, this celebration that, that says that our character, that how we live, is what you are most concerned about. That you treat it as an opportunity for celebration and affirmation. The fact is we don't need the reminders about the shortcomings. We do that for ourselves. Lord, we are, we are oftentimes in need of the reminders of the affirmation of who you are in us and the work that you're doing in us. And so I pray for a reorientation, for a paradigm shift for everyone in this room, woman or not, mother or not, wife or not, that we would be reminded of how deeply valuable how we work is, how we go about our lives in the world. And I pray that that would be empowerment that lasts beyond the life of a carnation on Mother's Day Sunday morning. Thank you for thank you for this freedom, Lord. What a gift it is. Would you help us to be bold and to walk in it? In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>